Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Awesome to be here today. It's great to be in church today. Everyone good? Come on, you good? Why don't you get up on your feet today? We're going to stand and honor the Word of God. We're going to jump into, uh, I think, an exciting message out of the Bible. And uh, I believe God's going to use it to stir some stuff up in our heart. Do you believe that? Come on, can you turn and just give a nudge to the person beside you? Make sure they're awake on this warm summer morning. It's officially summer, everyone. It's officially summer. We had our longest day. How many people love when the days are getting longer? So you could look at it two ways, enjoy them now or else get negative and say it's only getting shorter from here. But why don't we just enjoy them? It's a good thing. We've got uh, these summer Sundays and it's amazing to be in church together today. We're going to be looking at Psalm 34 today. And so if you could get to Psalm 34 in your Bible, I'm going to begin by reading that. Then we're going to pray and then we're going to dive in. Sound good? Come on. Sound good? Psalm 34 says this, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Down to verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word today. I pray that as we look to it, we will uh, will become enlightened and inspired, but not only that, that we'll also be motivated towards action, that we'll put into practice what your word says. I pray for breakthrough in the house today. In your name we pray, and everybody said amen. amen. Awesome. You can grab your seat this morning. So good to see you. If we've never met before, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Vivid Church. Having a great time uh, being with our church today. I just got back from New West. Had an awesome morning there this morning. And excited to share with you out of the book of Psalms today, as we are doing all summer long. How many people have been enjoying the summer reading plan through the book of Psalms? Come on, make a little noise. It's been great. We got a creative team that worked on a magazine. We got daily videos. We've got little devotional thoughts, and we're all walking through it together. So I really enjoyed this week. I was in uh, another country. I I spent uh, the week in Singapore and Malaysia, and I loved the thought that as I was waking up there and reading out of the book in Psalms, there was people here reading that same portion of scripture. That connectivity across the ocean is just phenomenal. So good and uh, excited to be in this together. Today, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is Seek and hide. Seek and hide. How many people like playing hide and seek? Four people love it. Amazing. It's, uh, you know, hide and seek. Pretty simple, pretty universal. You don't even really need the ability to be on the same page in the same language, any sort of thing. You can go find a place to hide and wait, wait to be sought out. Uh, you know, so like I said, I was in uh, in Singapore, Malaysia, and there's a few things about travel that uh, I love, and then there's a few things about coming home that I love, okay? Here's, the, here's some of the things I love about travel. Uh, I love being in different weather systems. It's awesome. You walk out of an airport, and you just get hit by a wall of humidity. 
It's amazing. Uh, with all of its wonderful smells and, and feelings and instantaneous sweat. It's fantastic. I also love traveling for the fact that you get to try new foods, new flavors, new spices, new combinations of things. It's amazing. Here's a couple of things I love about getting home. Walking out of the airport and going, I smell nothing. Like, like I love trying new things, but then I also love, I love this weather. To be honest, people complain a lot about Vancouver weather. I think it's great weather. I also, I love, like I said, trying new foods, but then I like getting home and being like, oh man, this is how I like making food as well. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's interesting, right? Because things like environment and taste are subjective. Like you, you feel new environments, you taste new foods, and they're, they're subjective. We, we like them differing levels. But yet we make objective statements about them, don't we? We try a new food and we're like, oh, this right here, this is so good. Like you need to put this in your mouth right now. And then someone else tries and like, yeah, yeah, not my favorite. You're like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. This is good. And they're like, yeah, no, I do get it. I didn't prefer it. You know what I'm saying? Like we make these, these total statements about things that are subjective. Dustin uh, was with me on this trip and we, we stopped in Hong Kong and then we went to Singapore and then we went to Malaysia. We were ministering at a church there called Victory Family Center, who over the last 42 years has planted 10,000 churches around the world. It's a pretty amazing thing to be a part of. And so we were, uh, we were at their camp. And I was starting to think like some of the interesting camps that I've, I've been at. I was at a camp once in the Yukon and it was a camp in the month of January in the Yukon. And, uh, and so we were indoors the whole time, except for the hour and a half in the day that it was bright outside. And then we went and played in the waist-deep snow until the sun went down an hour and a half later. That was camp. I remember once speaking at a camp uh, on, on the hillside, on a, like a mountainside by the Black Sea, uh, inside of an old circus tent to a group of Moldovian gypsies their summer camp. And so we went there and I had to climb up this rock wall to the top of the mountain. And we got to the top of the mountain and they're like, oh, here's your, your, where you'll be staying. And it was a little tent, like a two-man tent. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And me and my Russian uh, translator, who I don't think really spoke enough English to really translate what I was saying. I think he was preaching his own messages. He was a good preacher though. And uh, we got in there and there was no bedding and there was no mattress. And it was me and Alexi. I'm like, Good night. Yes. And then we went to sleep and there we were on top. So when I got a call and they say, hey, we're going to do this camp in Malaysia and uh, we'd like you to come for our summer camp. I said, OK, what, what do I need to bring to prepare? Like, what should I be ready for? Like, what do you mean? Just be ready for camp. I'm like, yeah, but like camp sometimes means like aggressive sports. It sometimes means like, what do, what do you mean? Like, what do I need to bring for bedding and stuff? They said, no, no, no. Camp for us is at a hotel and you'll be in a ballroom. And so it was a ballroom that sat 1,200 people. That was, a, that was camp. It was a great time. Had a fantastic time. And in that setting, we, we felt different weather systems for sure. And we tried some different foods. And as we were concluding our trip, our last meal on the trip was at Shake Shack on the rooftop of a mall in Hong Kong. And as we sat there eating, we were reminiscing, as you do at the end of a trip, about the highlight moments, which, which included the various foods we had tried. Like, hey, what, what were your favorite meals we tried on this trip? And it's amazing that, that we tried all the same things, but we had 
different lists of preferences. Dustin still found a way to put KFC in his top five. It's amazing. It's like, oh, yeah, that KFC in Malaysia was so good. It was like the fourth best meal we had. It was amazing. You know, we tried different things, tried different flavors. We have different opinions about them. We experience different things, maybe in the exact same atmosphere, and someone goes, whoa, it's so hot in here, and someone else is like, whoa, I'm kind of chilly. Amazing that we could experience the same thing and have different conclusions that we make from it. I think the same is true of fears. I think the same is true of troubles. Like things that, that you're scared of, I'm not scared of. The things that I'm scared of, you're not scared of. Things that, that you might find troubling might actually be exciting to someone else and vice versa. Dustin and I, again, we're in Singapore and we, we got on these little electric scooters. You could scan your phone. It was like a it was like Cardigo scooter edition. It was awesome. 15 cents a minute and we were ripping around Singapore. We had, had a guy there with us who was driving us around hosting. Us. You got to come with us. He goes, oh, I don't know. It just kind of seems a little bit intense. Like, you know, I'm not into extreme sports. And we're like, it is an electric scooter. Like, it barely faster than walking. It just feels more fun. And, and then, so we got on there, and it was like, he was like, wow, this is amazing. He's experiencing his city a whole new way. And I said, where's, where's your buddy? You should have brought him. He's like, yeah, he's not into outdoor sports. I'm like, we are on electric scooters in, like, the most urban city on the planet. I, like, I haven't seen a bug anywhere. There's no, like, this is not an outdoor extreme sport. But isn't it amazing? We have subjective opinions, or, like, we have, sorry, objective opinions about subjective experiences, like things that we find fearful, things that we find troubling. Here in this psalm, I think it's really important for us to understand the context that David is speaking out of, because if we don't understand the context he's speaking out of, we can so quickly look at his conclusion and say, yeah, but that's different than me. I think it's important that we can draw some relevancy that we might not be living in the exact same day, the exact same time, the exact same trouble, but we can draw from some of his conclusions that he comes to. Is that cool? See, Psalm 34, at the very beginning, it describes a little bit of like what you need to know for the poem to make the most sense. Some poems say nothing. A lot of them say, written by David. Some of them say things like this, written by David for the, the music director. In other words, it was a, a melody, and David's like, hey, I, I wrote this song, try this out. Next time we gather together to worship, it'll be powerful. Some of them say, written by David to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, whatever that song is, like David wrote it and it was like, if you knew that tune, you could sing it to that tune. And then some of them like this actually say what David was doing when he wrote it. Okay, so I read this. Here's what David was doing, Psalm 34, when he wrote this particular poem. It says, a poem of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech who drove him away. And so he left, okay? So this is the context in which David wrote this poem. Whilst pretending to be insane in front of King Abimelech before Abimelech sent him away. Like, well, where's that story in the Bible? Great question. 1 Samuel chapter 21. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we, we, we see David who is in some trouble. Now, David, to give you context, his best friend's name is Jonathan. Can everyone say Dave and John? Dave and John are best buds. They're homies. Like, they're, they're close. Dave and John, they're dudes. Jonathan's dad's the king. His name's Saul. David is anointed to be the next king. 
So there's conflict. There's a little bit of issue here. Because you'd think, as is the case all across the world, that when a king passes on his kingship, he passes it to his son. So in that case, it would have been going to Jonathan. But here we have David, best friends with Jonathan. David has been promised by God he would be the next king. So there's some tension that exists between Saul and his son's best friend, David. Now the tension is increased by a couple of factors. Number one, David fought and killed Goliath. You remember the story? Even if you don't remember the story, you've probably heard the saying. It's your classic David versus Goliath story. What is meant by that is an underdog who beats the overwhelming odds and beats the favorite. Goliath was a giant. Goliath was trained in battle. Goliath was fully armed, and Goliath had intimidated the entire nation. David, who was not fully armed and not prepared in battle, stood out on that field with a sling, some stones, and a stick, and he said, Goliath, today I'm going to chop your head off. Today I'm going to come at you. I'm going to defeat you. Done with this intimidation. No more uh, oppression of of me and my people. I'm going to take you down. And he did. He took took the sling smashed Goliath in the head, went over, took his sword, chopped his head off. It's so gory and so awesome. I remember reading stories like this when I was a kid thinking, I'm so glad my parents don't know this is in here. I would not be allowed to read this type of material. Amazing. So David was victorious in battle, went on to become like the most fierce warrior in the nation. So much so was his popularity that a song was written about David. A song that, that you could say, like it made the top 40 hits of the time, okay? And, and, and here's how the song went. Saul, the king, has killed a thousand. David, not the king, has killed 10,000. So Saul was like, his, he was referenced in the lyric, but being referenced in the lyric was a comparison to how much better David was, okay? Like Saul's intense house, gee, Saul, you know, you've asked us whenever there's new pop culture references you, to you to let you know, and so you were featured today on Ryan Seacrest's Top 40, and there's this new song, and your name is dropped in the lyric, and it says you killed a thousand. He's like, whoa, that's awesome. I love that people are recognizing, like, the value I bring to the nation. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You're amazing, king. Well, what are, what are the other lyrics? Well, the next line is that David actually killed 10,000. So, like, I don't know if that's what they were intending, but they kind of make you look bad. This tension that existed between Saul and David grew to a point in 1 Samuel chapter 21 that Saul had planned to kill David. Jonathan lets David know. He's like, David, I hate that like, you and me, we're cool. We'll always be cool. I love you, but my dad is out to get you. You need to, you need to get out of here. Okay, this is the context. Can someone say trouble? It's the trouble. David flees, okay? He's running for his life. He goes to a place called Nob. It's a good place, the city of Nob. He shows up at Nob. He's got no resources. He's got nobody with him. He has no weapons on him. Like he is, he's in a vulnerable place. He comes into Nob, and when he's in a vulnerable place, he goes to church. I just think if you find yourself today in a vulnerable place, I'm glad you found yourself in church. Not a bad place to be. So he shows up in Nob. He goes to the church. He asks the priest. He says, hey, I'm hungry. Do you have any food here? The priest says, well, I had, like, I had some bread that that all the other priests were eating after after our last church service. And like basically he's like, I got some AeroPress coffee and some cookies if that if that would help. Right? He's like, you can come to the Connect area, David. Glad you're here for the first time. We actually have a gift for you. You know, he was doing the real pastor thing. He goes, That's all I, I got here. And David said, Thanks, man, that'll do. Whatever you have. And then he said, Do you happen to have any weapons here? And the priest's like, David, this is a church, right? You know that this is 
Not, but we do have one piece of memorabilia, like we, one piece. It's actually the sword of Goliath. You remember that sword? He's like, yeah, I remember that sword. He's like, yeah, well, when you were, when times were tough for you and you went to the pawn shop and you sold it, we went and got it. I just think pawn shops are the best, right? You walk through, it's like electric guitars and daggers. <laughs> Someone's like, oh, it's been a tough month. Really? Yeah, really tough. It's going to be hard to make ends meet. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to have to pawn a couple of my daggers, I guess, you know? <laughs> And like, yeah, you know, I, I, I like found some treasures. I went to a pawn shop. There it was. I bought it. It's just like a piece of memorabilia if you'd like it. And David's like, cool, I'll take that. So he walks out of church with the sword of Goliath and a bag, bag of bread, but he's still completely alone. And then he does something crazy. Like he does something actually certifiably crazy. He goes, I feel in danger. I know what I'll do. I'll go to Goliath's hometown. And he finds himself, have you ever been in a stressful situation and thought, what was I thinking? Have you ever been in a stressful situation and thought, like, that led me to some sort of crazy? What was I doing? Like, stress was going on in my life, and so I took it out on my closest loved ones. I wasn't mad at them, but for some reason I, I let them have it. Like, what was I thinking? Have you ever been there? Yeah, I was in like this really crazy, stressful financial situation, so I went on a shopping spree. What was I thinking? Right? Have you ever been there? Like, oh, I just got stressed out because my career wasn't going the way I wanted, so I just quit my job. Now I'm jobless and my career is really going nowhere. What was I thinking? Here was David in a stressful situation, feeling like he, like he didn't belong. He's like, I know what I'll do. The sword of Goliath has reminded me. I'll go to his hometown. That's crazy. So he went to find himself some fellowship around his enemies. I just want to say, whatever you find troublesome, whatever you find fearful, probably you and I are the same in this, that we can come to some crazy solutions when we're stressed out. We can do some crazy things when we find ourselves in trouble. So David goes to Gath. That's where, where Goliath was from. Interestingly, the word knob means fruitful. Can someone say fruit? Anyone love some fruit? You know, love some dried fruit, crazy. You probably like a fruit that I don't like and maybe vice versa. And we would make objective statements about it like, oh yeah, it's the best fruit. And someone else would be like, no, that's the worst fruit. Amazing. Knob was called fruit. Gath means the wine press, like the place where fruit is crushed. I just think it's an interesting observation. Maybe you've never been in a situation where your best friend's dad wanted to kill you because you had slayed a giant and then a pop culture song was written about you that made your best friend's dad intimidated by you. Maybe you've never had that situation. But I bet you've felt at times that you have descended from a place that used to feel like everything was working for me, like really fruitful, and now I feel like I'm just getting crushed. Have you been there? Like, I bet you you've felt that sort of a feeling. I bet you you can relate to that thought of, what am I doing right now? I'm doing crazy things to try to respond to my stress, to try to respond to my fear, to try to respond to my trouble. So David goes to Gath, and of course, he's recognized. If not for the fact that he had been slaying tens of thousands of his enemies, the fact that he was carrying a sword that had Goliath's name engraved on it. They're like, so where'd you get that, bro? Ah, uh, just found it. Sure you did. Sure you did. So they take him to the king, whose name is Abimelech. They're like, Abimelech, this is David. You know that song, like the really catching one? Saul has killed his now and then David. You know that one. This is David. He's killed tens of thousands of us. 
What do you want to do about it, king? So David comes up with the most clever solution he possibly knows how to do in a time like this. He pretends that he is insane. You can read it in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David starts clawing at the, like the doorposts of the gate and letting himself drool down his beard. Like he's mumbling and clawing at things and drooling. And the king's like, guys, why did you bring this crazy person here? Well, this is David. He's like, yeah, right. Last week it was Santa. The week before that it was Elvis. And now you're bringing David. Right. He pretends to be insane. And the king's like, can you just get this crazy guy out of here? Like you guys made, made all this to do about nothing. That's David's creative solution in a time of trouble. And into that context, he writes this incredible poem. Again, I think it's important to understand the context, not because you've lived this exact thing, but probably because you felt some of those same feelings. Like, how did my crazy lead me to this? Probably you felt some of those same things. That, like, it used to be fruitful. Now I just feel crushed. Probably you felt some of those same things, being hungry and alone and vulnerable. Have you been there? So here's some conclusions I'd love for us to make today that I, I believe are conclusions about worship as we read through this song, this psalm. Conclusion number one, okay? Worshiping God seems crazy to others, but it's actually beautiful and strategic. In, in, in Psalm 34, verse 1, it says this, I will extol the Lord at all times. Can someone say at all times? At all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I'll glorify the Lord and let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Here's what seems crazy. Here's what seems crazy to those who observe you. They think it's as crazy as a man letting saliva run down his beard while he claws at a door. They think it's crazy that you would worship God at all times. Like, it is crazy. It appears insane that worship would be your conclusion when things feel stressful. It would seem totally insane that worship would be your inclusion when things are going bad. But this poem that was written in the midst of crazy is actually an acrostic poem. Every line starting with the next successive letter of the alphabet. So what seemed and appeared like David's going crazy, he was actually doing something incredibly strategic, aligned. It was valuable. It was beautiful. And there's something beautiful about your worship and my worship when we just simply conclude at all times. It looks crazy to others. I'm telling you, that king who looked at David, he's like, this is a crazy person. What are you doing? Why did you bring this guy into... into my presence today. It's crazy to people when, when you and I can conclude we worship when we're feeling rejected. It's crazy to people that you and I can conclude in our lowest times, in our darkest hours, be like, well, I'm just going to find, find some time and just worship God, be grateful. It would be crazy that after like a diagnosis of some sort of sickness or illness or disease, that your first conclusion would be to worship God. That seems completely crazy, but it's actually beautiful. It's actually valuable. It's actually strategic. So here's David in the midst of like, you know, I wonder if I'm pulling it off. He's drooling and clawing at things. And in his mind, he's like, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. He's writing a piece of art in the midst of what looks crazy. I wonder if we could conclude today, no matter what, no matter what we face, no matter what the sept. Uh, subjectivity of the fears or troubles we face, just say this, I've made it up, up in my mind, I will bless the Lord at all times. David, who, who says, I will bless the Lord, his next line is this, now, come on, magnify the Lord with me. Bless the Lord with me. 
It's an amazing thing that if you and I would step out and make it a conclusion that we are worshipers, that our, our situation might not seem very valuable, it might actually be intimidating, it could leave us feeling like we're going crazy, but we make a conclusion to be worshipers. It actually leads others into the same type of worship. And that word glorify, it means to magnify, to make bigger. Do you know what's interesting is that when you put a magnifying glass on something, it doesn't actually make it bigger. It just helps you see it, gives you perspective of being larger in your eyes, right? If you were to put a magnifying glass on on an object, like you see an ant walking by, you put a magnifying glass on it, the ant doesn't grow, but to your perspective it does. The ant that is the exact same size as it always will be now appears bigger because you've magnified it. In the same manner, when you worship, God doesn't get stronger. When you worship, God doesn't become more powerful. When you worship, God is not more worthy of praise. We simply have decided, I'm going to look at God in a bigger way. I'm going to magnify. So when we worship, in the midst of loneliness and vulnerability and hunger and feeling rejected and feel all those things, we have decided, I am going to actually choose to see God bigger in this situation instead of looking at my problems and magnify. So many times we magnify our problems. Like when we complain, we become describers of our problems. We actually put a magnifying our glass on our problems like, wow, things are so terrible. They just keep getting worse. I guess this is the best I can expect. And we magnify our problems. But the person who says, I will bless the Lord at all times, they've said this, I'm going to put a magnifying glass on God. I'm not going to get distracted by my problems. I'm going to look at Jesus. Come on. Can everyone praise Jesus for a minute? Come on. Second conclusion I make, look at verse 4. Look at what it says. It says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lion may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I want to teach you what it is to fear the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Within this little section of his poem, I think, David, he's highlighting some fears that would be logical, okay? It is logical to be fearful of loneliness. It is logical to be fearful of humiliation. How many people don't prefer to be humiliated? Are you with me? It's one of the reasons, like, people are so scared of being humiliated. It's one of the reasons people fear public speaking. They're like, what if I say something stupid? Just guess what? Everyone who public speaks says stupid things all the time. Just gotten over the fear. It is logical to be fearful of being rejected. It is logical to be fearful of having nothing. But here David says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And actually the fears that could have bound me don't affect me anymore. Because I realize I'm not alone. I realize that I'm not rejected. I, I love what he says this, those who seek the Lord will never be covered in shame. And he's saying this while frothing at the mouth and clawing at the doorposts. In other words, he goes, you know what? 
I don't really care what people think about me. I don't care that I just got rejected by my best friend's dad. I don't care that now I, I, I have to do without. I lost my, 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 my position. I lost what I had. I don't have, I have anything except for a bag of bread and the sword of Goliath. I don't really care about those things. I don't fear lack anymore. I don't fear humiliation anymore because I sought the Lord and he delivered me from my fears. You know what happens when we worship? When we conclude, I will magnify the Lord at all times, even though it looks crazy, we've done this beautiful thing that actually leads us into fearlessness. And he says this, seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it means to chase it down. God is calling you and I to chase down peace. Not to run away from your fears, but to run towards your refuge. Not to run away from the things that would cause you to be afraid, but to run towards what would cause you to feel safe. And that's Jesus. I love that the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Zion's not yet one, our youngest son. He's not yet one. And he's at an age and stage where everything, everything that he can reach goes straight into his mouth. Right? Like a shoe into his mouth. A random Cheerio. Why are Cheerios everywhere? Into his mouth. Like the hand of a stranger into his mouth. It's part of human development. In that stage of our human development, we need to put things, get up close and personal enough that we actually put them into our mouth to experience new things. Here the Bible is saying this. Don't just look at God from a distance and, and wonder what it might be like. Get up close and personal enough to actually taste God. Like to experience a new texture and a new flavor and to develop a craving and develop a desire. In another place in the psalm, it says this, that if we delight yourself in the Lord or you, you get a craving for what God is like, you'll actually have your desires fulfilled. That not only, like it'll start with a craving and it'll lead towards an appetite. That it'll start with a craving and it'll lead towards being that appetite being satisfied. So the invitation to you and I is that if you feel fearful, Get up close and personal enough that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. That you can taste that, man, humiliation, you go, oh, I'll never be covered in shame. Why? Because God's delivered me from my fears. Like a righteous person doesn't have to do without. Why? Because God's my provider. A person rejected, oh, man, like even lions grow hungry, but those who fear the Lord, they lack nothing, no good thing. God's got me. God's got this. I'm good. That's what happens in worship. That's why when we gather we worship. I hope that your worship life is bigger than just three or four songs on a Sunday, on a Sunday that you happen to get up out of bed early enough to make your way to church. I hope your worship life is bigger than that. But even if it only begins here, let's take full advantage of moments like these where we can say, I'm going to magnify God. I want to see God as bigger and take my eyes off my problems. I actually want to get up close and personal enough that I can experience the kindness of God setting me free from my fears, okay? Third conclusion I make, and if you can join me with this, I'm going to invite the band to come back up as well. It says this in verse uh, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. Can someone say troubles? Not only does God deliver you from your fear, the things that you, like, you don't have a taste for being humiliated. You don't have a taste for being rejected. You don't have a taste for being alone. You don't have a taste for doing without. God sets you free from those if you can taste and see that he is good. But he also delivers you from your troubles, the atmosphere that has led you into those fears. 
It says this, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles. Okay, notice this. The righteous person may have many troubles. Sometimes when you and I face trouble, we go, what have I done wrong this time? What have I done to deserve this? What have I done to earn this? Righteous people face many troubles. It, it, it very likely has nothing to do with your standing before God. Righteous people face troubles. Righteous people have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He protects their bones and none will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked and the foes of the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22, the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Here we are in the midst of our troubles, but when we magnify the Lord and we get a perspective of the bigness of God, when we get close enough and to experience him, like not just observing from afar, but actually getting a taste for the kindness of God that sets us free from those, those fears, what you will find is this. Though you might feel crushed in your spirit, God's not going to let you be crushed. He said, my, my spirit's crushed, but God won't let a single bone be broken. In other words, what we're feeling on the inside is not dictating of what we will experience on the outside because the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So many people in times of trouble find themselves asking this question, where's God now? Where's God now? Like now that everything went, went crazy, where's God now? Now that I'm living in disappointment, where's, where's God now? Here's where he is. He's right nearer than you ever believed him to be. He's near to the brokenhearted. I love this, that God's eyes are on you. His ears are attentive to you. He's drawn close to you to protect you. And the Bible says this, that those who seek refuge in God will never be condemned. You see, we don't hide from our problems and hope to find freedom there. We actually seek the solution. We seek God and then we hide in him. So today I want to invite you, we're going to in a moment stand in worship. And in this time of worship, I want to invite you to to fix your eyes on Jesus as we, we sing to magnify the Lord together. I want to invite you as we, we worship, maybe more than just singing some lyrics that you, you see on a screen and trying to follow a melody. I want to invite you, get up close and personal with your situation. You can talk to God in a moment like this. Taste and see that he is good. Share with him the things that you're fearful of and, and watch the solution that he brings, the freedom that he brings. And then in that discovery, Let's, let's determine to find refuge in him. Refuge, it means like I've come to be settled here. Uh, I made myself at home here. David in his momentary craziness was trying to find refuge among his enemies. It's so easy for us to do, isn't it? We say life is hard. I just want to just go to a dangerous place and see if it'll get better. But when he leaves Gath, he actually goes to a cave feels very alone, feels very, but he's safe. And then God begins to send him people who, who are befriending to him, sends him resource. He encourages himself in the Lord there. And the beginning of what would turn into his entire kingship starts in a cave. It starts in just finding a safe place of refuge. I think the same is true for us in worship. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church. 
or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.